0: Connecting life and faith. This is connection. It's it's praise and worship music that serves the church, but then on the other side, you've got VIP passes and you've got uh, dark auditoriums with with massive light shows and and, and stuff like that. And it's it, the structure, I think, is what is causing us sort of some pause and. Maybe some confusion
1: now this is a topic that has come to light after a little bit of uproar on social media after Hillsong United and Chris Tomlin announced their tour across North America with this tour they included a VIP experience now people were confused. Can we combine ministry and entertainment? Should we be allowing VIP tickets when it comes to a Christian band? Well, these are all questions that Dr. Nicholas Greco is going to help us to understand today. He's the provost at Providence University College and Theological Seminary. He's going to share his insight on this topic and so much more.
2: So we thought we'd try something a little bit different today. Before we get to the guest and the interview, we thought we'd ask you your thoughts on this. And Marilyn responded, here's what Marilyn thinks about VIP tickets and worship concerts.
3: Hi there, my name is Marilyn, and I am all for VIP um, tickets at Christian concerts. The reason being is um, these Christian artists... um, are very talented and bring, um, the word of God through music in our lives. And, um, I myself would love to get a VIP, uh, pass to, uh, not just get my picture taken with, um, these artists, but, um, also just have some one-on-one time with them. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, I have I have met a few artists, not even for a VIP, to be honest with you, but um, to give them that extra, that extra um, money, I think it's all worth it.
2: And we had one other person they wanted to comment to, uh, wanted to remain anonymous, but asked us to play this.
3: Um, I feel
1: that artists have an, artists need to have an income. And therefore, you know, if they can break even selling VIP tickets, why wouldn't they do that? There are many celebrities, Christians included, who sell merchandise from clothing to perfume to energy bars. So in my opinion, VIP tickets are not really that different and sometimes necessary in the music profession. Um, should writers, not, should Christian writers not sell devotionals? Should um, movie... Like any movies, like example, The Chosen, should they not sell merchandise to support their business? Anyway, I don't see VIP tickets any different than that. Thank you so much.
2: Some good thoughts. Some people will agree. Some won't. It's kind of not a very black and white issue, I'm suspecting.
1: No, it's very confusing. Even when we had the opportunity to chat with Dr. Nicholas Greco, even he himself is kind of, you know, all over the place. What are our thoughts? It's, It's definitely a question that is on many people's minds.
2: Well, you could always join in the conversation after this podcast, too. Make sure to comment on Facebook and Instagram, and we'd love to hear your thoughts, too.
1: Now, Christian music, VIP tickets, combining entertainment and ministry. Is that okay? That's the question we're asking Dr. Nicholas Greco today. He is the provost at Providence University College and Theological Seminary.
2: Okay, I had a first question, but actually maybe tell us first, What's a pro- provost? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a great question. So, a provost is the uh, is the ch- the chief academic officer of a university or a higher education institution. So, I am in charge of all of the academic program at Providence.
2: Now, before you took on that position, you had a you were a professor there. You taught a lot of courses on media and things like that. And you have a real interest on kind of finding God in popular culture. You've written a couple of different books on the music of David Bowie and YouTube. I'm wondering what sparked that love for you, especially like that unique angle of looking for God in popular culture.
0: Well, I, I come from, I come from a background of faith. Uh, and as a Christian, I, I think I, I was always interested in, in uh, seeing where God showed up because I think, I would notice that sort of thing. I mean, I listened to a lot of Christian music when I was younger, When in the 1980s was when I was first into... Uh, Christian music so I I didn't listen to what we used to call then secular music I I, I know some some people still use this kind of terminology but I didn't listen to any secular music until I got a little bit older uh, in my late teens then I started listening to what was around I remember 1992 I was in high school and I listened to David Bowie and my sister my sister listened to David Bowie a bit but I never did um, until you know 1992 and I think I I wanted to find something I mean at that point I wanted to find something to justify my listening to that music but the thing is I found it I think that's what what is interesting is I would find these little glimmers of of experience or of of god in these in these various spots and I think that's that's what was really exciting to me whether it was David Bowie wearing a cross around his neck like to me that meant something that was more than just decoration or or jewelry Um, so these moments were very exciting to me
1: that was a question I was going to ask what did you discover when when you started listening to this pop and just in, in enveloping yourself in pop culture
0: yeah I think you know I think it's I'm going to sound so naive, right? Because I'm I'm coming to this say, oh, look at this world of popular culture that I've never sort of seen before. But it wasn't it wasn't really like that. I didn't live a sheltered life when I was when I was growing up. I, I did grow up in a relatively conservative context, but it, I was never sheltered in the way that some of my other friends who who grew up in the same faith tradition that I did were. But I I I remember just sort of hearing some of this music, and I have to go back to this Bowie album. You know, Black Tie White Noise was the name of the album in the early 1990s and I remember listening to it and seeing this this cross around Bowie's neck and and listening to the words and 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 sort of seeing the you know he was talking about getting married and I'm like this is David Bowie a rock star he's getting married and somehow he's finding worth in this relationship that he's going to enter into for the rest of his life and this was fascinating to me this was this was something really really uh really interesting and it was it was these these small glimpses into something more than just the regular rock and roll lifestyle or whatever that i thought existed that really that really caught me
2: uh and and um, kept my attention i like that growing up in the 80s and 90s like you we we weren't even allowed to go to the fm dial right just everything on <laughs> fm was bad so <laughs> yeah. and a lot of Canadian, they'll remember yeah. the the after school show video hits on cbc that's, right that's just right like, yeah know,
0: no <laughs> <laughs> See, I was allowed to watch video hits, but it, I suspect that if my parents did see something on video hits that was that was questionable, they would stop me from watching it but when when I was in high school, there was no christian radio so so there there was none of that and and right. and, and and so my music was really the stuff that I would buy at the Christian bookstore and pop into my cassette player before cassettes were cool that that was the you know that was my my life and so branching out to other things suddenly i realized that god wasn't only in the box of christian music Mm. but actually outside of that and and perhaps even as i've gotten older i've realized that god is moving in all sorts of other places even places that we wouldn't necessarily expect
2: so we wanted to shift from popular culture to christian culture though um so really con- uh, interesting conversations popped up the past couple of weeks here. Chris Tomlin and Hillsong United, they teamed up for a big North American tour, which mm-hmm. means all over the U.S. and two stops in Canada. Uh, <laughs> and they're calling it Tomlin United. And all was fine and good until tickets went on sale. And it was discovered for this big worship tour they were selling VIP tickets. So you could get your regular tickets or for extra money, you could buy VIP tickets that included extra perks that other people don't get, like meeting the band members, Uh getting your picture taken on stage with them and things like that. And uh, all of a sudden it blew up on Twitter, Mm -hmm. especially a Christian music uh, musician uh, called them out on Twitter for this. They ended up changing it from a VIP package to just, special experience packages (laughs) so we're interested in your take on this especially around christian music are things (laughs) like vip packages okay
0: well you know when i have to go back to my younger days again 1986 at hillcrest high school in ottawa ontario i went to see randy stonehill in concert now some of your listeners might know randy stonehill but i was a massive stonehill fan and so in 1986, I went to his concert and I didn't pay any extra for a VIP pass. I just waited for an hour after the show and I got to meet him <laughs> and I was so excited. And I remember, I was, you know, I my sister was with me and we got a picture with him. It was just the biggest thing in the world. And so when I hear stuff about, you know, wanting to meet the band and so on, on one side, I think to myself, well, that's nothing new because I always wanted, you know, I wanted to meet. Stonehill or, or, you know, the Lost Dogs, a band that I really like. Um, you know, I got to meet these people and that was a huge, huge thing for me. On the other side of things, though, I think about Hillsong United or Chris Tomlin and much of their music that they produce now, which is different from Stonehill. Stonehill would sing from a Christian perspective, perhaps, but they didn't he didn't do what was explicitly considered worship music. And I think a lot of the new newer stuff is is sort of praise and, praise and worship. And that's where the problem lies, I think. Not not so much in the nature of the music, but in the way that it's packaged. I've been thinking about this for the last few days as well. And I think there's actually a structural problem with Christian music these days. Mm.
1: So should we be treating Christian music then as a ministry versus it being entertainment or how do we start looking at it then
0: well th- these are long-standing uh long-standing controversies or discussions within within christian music um way back in the early 70s when when the Jesus Jesus movement sort of brought what we call Christian music uh, out and and made it grow there were always these kinds of discussions what was the music for was it a ministry to reach out to those who were unsaved or was it something for us to simply be entertained by and I think at the very beginning in the 70s and maybe even into the early 80s it was this this ministry that that, uh, that that was out to sort of evangelize but as you know as, as the 80s moved on, we had this institutionalization of Christian music, where it wasn't so much ministry, it was it was really entertainment for those of us who didn't want to, I don't know, soil our minds with, with secular music or something. And then as time has gone on, I think it's switched to being uh, sort of a ministry again but really focused inward. So no longer sort of evangelical moving out toward, or, or evangelism moving out to the masses, but rather sort of serving the church in many ways. So I, I'm not sure what to call it because it, it maybe it is ministry more than it perhaps was when I was growing up in the 80s. But on the other hand, it's, 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 it's using the same kinds of patterns that the mainstream music industry uses. I think that's the thing where that that's what confuses us when we look at this. So it's it's praise and worship music that serves the church, but then on the other side you've got VIP passes and you've got uh dark auditoriums with with massive light shows and and, and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And it's it the structure I think is what is causing us sort of some pause and maybe some confusion.
2: I have I have so many thoughts and questions and comments. <laughs> I can't choose where to so start. So do next. I? <laughs> so do I like <laughs> it's it's really hard because i mean like colleen and i were in this world right we make our living but ccm contemporary christian music and worship music it has become such a huge industrial complex right
0: yeah but i think it it always was i think this Hmm. is what i'm trying to say is that we might You know, I teach a class on popular music and culture here at Providence every once in a while. And in that class, we we take a look at, you know, Lana Del Rey and Adele. And we sort of compare these two figures and we say, well, Adele seems so authentic. She seems like, you know, that woman next door that you can talk to and she's being truthful. Lana Del Rey, well, you know, she's a construct. Her her parents maybe put her together as a, uh, um, you know, marketed her as a singer and she can't really sing and all of that. Well, guess what? In popular music, authenticity doesn't really exist. Mm. Both of these are constructed. Mm. Both of these figures are not really real. We don't know who the real Adele is. And I think the same thing goes with Christian music. It was always an industry. People were in it for ministry, perhaps, but also to make money. This is not new. When, it, when I went to Bible college in the 90s for a year, I remember receiving um, what what used to be called Integrity Hosanna cassettes. Right. Uh, and they used to have all worship music on them. Uh, they were resources for, for, for pastors and for musicians to use, but they produced one every month and you would subscribe to it. So, I mean, if, if we're looking at sort of an industry that's churning out music, they were doing that in the 90s. So that's not new. I guess all I'm trying to say is our world can't be destroyed by these things because this has been how it has been. We just haven't recognized mm. it. That's all. Very true.
2: How can we,
1: how can we start to recognize it and combine those two and get our, and wrap our heads around that?
0: You know what, when the, when you are serving the music and the music isn't serving you, then that's a problem, right? So if the music is providing for you a kind of, um, uh, if it's providing you worship, worshipful uh, songs, things that you can use as, as a way to worship God or to focus on God or for some, in, in some way to realign your life then that's great. If you're getting encouragement and edification from that music, that's good. If it's making you think about the world around you and, and how things are and how things should be, then that's great. But if you're in it only for the image that you're seeing or only for meeting that person that you really like or only for the kinds of things, the kinds of trappings that we see in celebrity culture and popular music in general, then there's the problem. And that's at all levels, right? So even the producers, if the producers are making it in order to sort of focus us on God or on better things, then that's okay. But if they're there only for the money, then that's the problem. I think we right. just need to be aware that there are both of these sides that are in this. This is not a, you know, it's, it's about making money fundamentally. You know, that's why they go on tour. It's so that there is a generation of money, right? It's yeah. not just for free. So, but that's okay, as long as we recognize that.
2: Uh, Chris Llewellyn, he's um, one of the members of REND Collective. He wrote an op-ed the other week. He called it a half-hearted defense of Hillsong's VIP worship tickets. Uh, He said, like, he's admitted he's had to do the same thing too. And he mentioned, like, touring is the only way that Mm -hmm. musicians can make money and recoup costs Mm -hmm. anymore. They don't make it from album sales anymore and with streaming services, right? So they have to go on tour and often for those tours to break even or make money, they have to sell VIP tickets. But maybe that's the wrong language to be using then.
0: If, if people are purchasing those VIP tickets, then that's the right language for them to use.
2: Hmm.
0: The market is what drives much of this, right? So if yeah. people were not purchasing those tickets, then they wouldn't sell them. Uh, and I guess
2: you had a good point about uh, the heart behind why they're doing what they're doing and making the music that they're making. I think another good point is: are they are they blocking people from hearing the gospel or not by doing certain things? Right.
0: Well, right. Uh, you probably have or to wrong. pay to go to a, <laughs> well. No, well, you probably have to pay to go to a concert. Um. I I remember I remember people saying to me when I was young, and again I could be critical of these voices now because I'm 47, so I'm not I'm not a child anymore. But I I you know they would say to me the music will not save people, the word of God will. Um, and you know I'm I'm not sure how theologically correct that is necessarily, but but it's it's this this idea that you know these are Chris Tomlin is not the the solution to the world's problems uh jesus is and and the holy spirit working is is the solution to the world's problems so you know i just wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily even fault some of these figures for uh charging to get into a concert for instance Mm.
1: now when this all came out um there was uproar on social media and it's christians calling out christians yeah Is that okay for us to be doing that? Or should we be taking that behind closed doors and chatting with one another as opposed to just putting it all out there and turning it into this big scene?
0: That's a great question, Colleen. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, in some ways, I think about the log that's in my eye and the speck that that's in somebody else's eye. Who is calling out who? And would those people go to a concert anyway? I mean, this is, these are all, good questions to think about if if one uh, musician is calling out another is that musician charging for concerts how is that musician making their living uh it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a gray area here uh, and and to tell you the truth I'm not that excited by the this kind of discussion anymore because I think it takes away from what we should be doing as Christians uh, I think if if we want to if we want to um, follow all of the structures of the mainstream music industry, we should actually make a difference in the mainstream music industry. We shouldn't be in our own mm-hmm. silo selling VIP tickets for, um, you know, for people to come to a, a Tomlin Hills, uh, Hillsong show, right? That's that's sort of what I think. Um, but anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I assume that the tour will be successful.
1: Maybe we got to go back into the olden days with just a good old acoustic guitar. And a stage with songs, you know. I'm keeping uh, it not, simple.
0: <laughs> not necessarily because that's not going to uh, that's not going to catch us. Uh, we're not going to be necessarily attracted by that. So it's it's a bit of a you know what I, I'm really excited by what's going on in some of the mainstream music. Uh, you know, Mike uh, and I had a conversation a few years ago about Chance the Rapper. You know, yeah. going through the, going through the book of uh, Ephesians I think it was on, on Instagram I mean that's right these are these there are things happening whether it be Kendrick Lamar or even you two, for that matter uh, and, and other Justin Bieber I mean this is the, the, these are super popular people that are bringing in some ways Christianity to the masses and I thin, then I think about some of the stuff that I used to listen to and that was just so insular and so isolationist. It didn't have the same kind of reach that some of these new people are, um, are, are being able to, uh, to reach. And I think that that's really quite exciting.
2: A couple of years ago, a video went viral of uh, Bieber leading uh, an arena in worship, except they didn't know they were singing a worship song. <laughs> yeah. right? They've, it sounded like a love song to them. And yep. that was a lot of Christians' complaint was, well, they don't know what they're singing about. And I was like, well, what a great introduction. They're going to go home singing that song and look it up, and boom. <laughs> but you
0: know what? I think that saying that they don't know what they're doing is actually putting God in a box again. So yeah, I, right? I watched the video last week with my students. It was Paramore, which is a group from Nashville. Um, Haley Williams is the lead singer. And we listened yeah. to a song called Part Two. And in that song, at the end of the song, she talks about being. Uh, like the moon that reflects the sun that we would be able to reflect the uh, reflect christ to the world she doesn't use you know the title christ in there at all but that's what she's saying at the end and it's like a, a prayer at the very end and no one in the audience would know that that that's what that is except that god knows And I'm a I'm a firm believer that God moves through these moments. This is a moment when the the mundane and the holy are brought together, and I think that's fascinating. So even if the crowd doesn't know, guess what? God is in that place, and that's what I find so exciting. Yeah,
2: yeah, I totally agree with that. And Haley Williams is a great uh, example too of somebody who, you know the. It just felt like Christian culture was always saying she's doing it wrong. She's doing it wrong. Right? And it's like, right. Just let her do what she is gifted to do and God can figure it out how to use her.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. But that's the same with some of these other folks too, right? Uh, in some ways we should leave. Uh, the the christian bands to their to themselves as well and allow god to convict them if if what they're doing mm. isn't right either i mean i'm not saying that we shouldn't correct right because the bible does talk about right. us actually speaking to others and giving them correction in, in love uh, but in some ways these are again I, I go back to that structure if we don't want to fit into the structure that mainstream music gives us then we have to do something different
1: at the end of the day, if you're taking something away and you're feeling as though God has moved you, then consider it a success.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. And that's, that's in, all, in all things and even in all sorts of music as well.
2: <laughs> uh, we're out of time, basically. I mean, this could be like a week-long episode, I feel like. We could talk for five days straight about this. Exactly.
0: It would be, it would be a, a hundreds of hours of us just talking straight. It would, be, it would be difficult, but it would be a lot of fun. Uh, Tell us about your books, Dr.
2: Greco, how we can find your books and uh, how we could find you online and have conversations or stay up to date with what you're doing.
0: Uh, Sure. Well, of course, I'm here at Providence University College and Theological Seminary, so you could always go to the Providence website, prov.ca, and you can find me somewhere there. Do a search and you can probably figure out how to contact me if you wanted to say hello. I've got a book on uh, on U2 that came out in in uh, 20 uh, oh, I don't know the pre, pre, yeah 2019 the pre pre COVID <laughs> days I don't know when that was but yeah 2019 on U2 and um, and social justice uh, and religious impulse in in U2's music. My David Bowie book came out in 2015. Uh, those books are available on Amazon. They're usually a little more expensive than regular books because they're primarily academic, but I think I do say things that are useful to regular people as well. <laughs> uh, and then I've got a book from a few years ago on the British singer Morrissey that, that uh, is based on my doctoral dissertation. So that's, that's available too. You can also find me online. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, My Twitter handle is uh, it just says M, the letter M, and between those words is an underscore. Don't worry too much if you can't find me there. I also (laughs) tweet through, I've also tweeted through the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which is always fun. For people who don't know anything about Catholicism, one of my colleagues had said to me years ago, hey, why don't you take a look and see what it says in the catechism, which is this big book that has all of Catholicism's ideas. Why don't you take a look and see what it says there? Oh, and by the way, why don't you tweet about it? And so then that got me to tweeting through all uh, 2,865 paragraphs of the catechism. <laughs> uh, and That, that was, was a super lot of fun. interesting yeah, so i'm I'm at Tweet Catechism on Twitter, uh, and that's that's ongoing. So you can see all of the two thousand eight hundred and sixty five condensations of of paragraphs there. So that's where nice. you can find me.
1: Thank you so much for making time for us today.
0: Well, thank you for talking with me.
2: I appreciate it. Yeah, always fun and exciting. Almost makes me want to go back to university
0: again. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be glad to have you, Mike. I'd be glad to have you. You say that now. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks so much, Dr. Greco. Thank you.
1: And thank you so much for listening. Remember, if you want to listen to this full podcast again or any of the other conversations that we've had on Connections, you can do that by checking out our podcast, Connections with Mike, Tom, and Colleen Hood. You can find that at podcastville.ca or wherever else you get your favorite podcast from. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.